Our scripture this morning is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 18. Would ask that you follow along as I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 uh, through 18, which is uh, the chapter. Uh, as we've been going through Second uh, uh, Corinthians and looking at uh, different uh, portions of the text and not trying to do an exhaustive study through Second Corinthians, but at least highlighting uh, some of the uh, verses that uh, particularly are some that we already know, uh, some that uh, certainly have a particular challenge to us and to the body of Jesus Christ. So Second Corinthians chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 1, it says, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath the Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The focus of this particular text obviously is defined here in just a couple of the verses in verse 14 where it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. And then obviously in verse 17 as well where it says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Uh, there is clearly in this passage in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians a, a challenge, a continued challenge uh, that is being given to the church at Corinth uh, for them to be separate. There is a call to separation. Uh, there is a call, we use this term, to not be unequally yoked. And uh, gave a little illustration there with the children about uh, when you start uh, having some yokeness that is not uh, always equal, uh, there can always be, uh, there can all kinds of be problems there. And it, it's something that is described, I think, in very simple terms uh, so that we might take it seriously and apply it uh, in our lives. 
I uh, read kind of an interesting, uh, cute little account. It talked about a, a, a day at a busy airport, and uh, the passengers on a commercial airliner were seated, and they were waiting for the cockpit crew to show up and so that they could take off. And uh, the pilot and co-pilot finally appeared in the rear of the plane and began walking up to the cockpit through the center aisle. Uh, both appeared, however, to be blind. The pilot was using a white cane, bumping into passengers right and left as he stumbled down the aisle, and the co-pilot was using a guide dog. Both had their eyes covered with huge sunglasses. At the first, the passengers did not actually react, thinking that it must be some sort of a practical joke. And after a few minutes, however, the engines fired and the airplane started moving down the runway. The passengers looked at each other with some uneasiness and whispering among themselves and looking desperately to the flight attendants for reassurance. Then the airplane started selling rapidly and began, uh, the people began panicking. Some passengers were praying as the plane got closer and closer to the end of the runway. The voices were becoming more and more hysterical and finally when the plane had less than 20 feet of runway left there was a sudden change in the pitch of the shouts of everyone as they all screamed at once. At the very last moment the airplane lifted off and was airborne. Up in the cockpit, the co-pilot breathed a sigh of relief and said to the captain, you know, one of these days the passengers aren't going to scream and we're all going to get killed. <laughs> um, <laughs> anybody have a flight this week? <laughs> uh, anyways, you know, um, we, we laugh at some things like that, but I wonder sometimes as we watch our world, and, and uh, I know I'm getting very concerned, gravely concerned for our world and for our society particularly, uh, because I have to confess to you, it seems to me like there's a, a lot of people that appear to me to be walking around using white canes and using dark sunglasses, acting as if they're blind to a lot of things that are going on in our world. I, I don't understand why they can't see some of the things that are very obvious in our world. And yet, uh, sooner or later, it finally comes back to me. And I, I remember, and I have to be reminded as a believer, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that in fact, that there is a difference, there's a distinction there is a separation between people who are believers and people who are not believers. Uh, we have a desire and we have, I believe, a calling of God uh, for us to minister to the world that's around us. And we have, a, we have a responsibility to reach the world that's around us. But in the midst of it, we also have to be reminded that there is a clear call to separation. Now, uh, you have to understand that there are different ways that different uh, people and different organizations and different belief systems have addressed some of these things in the past. Uh, some of you are familiar, and uh, there are people that are pushing this. Uh, I just heard this past week there were some issues that were going on uh, in England particularly, and there's a big struggle there because the population that, that is uh, Muslim has been increasing, increasing, and increasing. And uh, they're concerned because it's beginning to affect uh, how things go uh, in that particular country. Uh, but as some of you are familiar, if you're familiar with Islam, you're familiar with Muslim belief, if you've taken the time ever to read any of the Quran, and uh, if you haven't and you're interested in that, I do have a copy of the Quran. You're more than welcome to borrow it, uh, and you can get one online too if you want it. You can download it as a PDF. But if you read the Quran, you will find very clearly uh, that uh, Islam has a very simple instruction. And the simple instruction is, is that you're to follow Allah and you're to commit yourself to Allah. And if you're not going to follow Allah, then you are referred to as an infidel. And uh, that Allah's plans are is to eliminate all the infidels. And his intention is to use those that are Muslim in practice to eliminate the infidels. So you're either a Muslim 
or you're an infidel. If you're a Muslim, then Allah likes you. If you're an infidel, then the Muslims are supposed to eliminate you. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not so thrilled about that concept, but we need to come to grips with it because it's plain as day. It's black and white in the Quran. Anybody that doesn't believe that, anybody that wants to kind of shuffle it off to the side, isn't making any sense. Take a look at what they teach. It's what they teach. Now, uh, you know, one of the things they, and, and I've heard people, I actually heard somebody who was a, a very high up in our, our government a, a few years back, and he was trying to, uh, he was trying to explain that, and, and he was trying to actually uh, communicate that it's really not that bad, and he, he likened it to Christians, that Christians are called uh, to be different, and they're called to reach out uh, to those that are unbelievers. Well, that's true. Our desire, however, is, is that we reach out to unbelievers so that they might become believers. It's not our place to eliminate them. It's not even our place to judge them. That's to be God's place. That's not even our place to do that. It's our place is to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. It's to share the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're to be praying for them and we're to be encouraging them. We're to be sharing our faith with them that they too might come to the realization that they're sinful and they need forgiveness. They need cleansing. They need a savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we seek to do as believers. Now, there's other people and there's been some in Christian veins. I don't know, how many, how many of you are familiar with Shaker Furniture? Anybody familiar with Shaker Furniture? We hear that all the time. And uh, Shaker Furniture came about by uh, individuals that were called Shakers. And uh, they were a unique group of people. I'm not going to try to give you the whole history of them, but uh, uh, by the way, many of them weren't that far away from us where we're out here in western Pennsylvania, down in Kentucky, some other places uh, where the holiness movement moved particularly. Uh, but the Shakers were individuals that believed in, in personal holiness, and they believed that they needed to be very careful that they didn't have anything that's in the world that was connected to them. So they moved away in isolation, and they used to go, they got called shakers because they used to do a little song and kind of a little thing where they, they shook and they would say that they're shaking all of the sin off of them. And uh, pretty soon people started calling them the shakers because that's what they did uh, when they gathered together and when they worshiped. That, if you want to know, that's where the name came from. Uh, but in the midst of it, they also did something unique because they wanted to make sure that they stayed holy and pure. They actually divided up in these camps that they had and the men were separated from the women. And uh, they did this because they didn't want to be tempted. They didn't want to, they didn't want to take the chance that somehow somebody would fall into sin. And so they just decided that they would just stay celibate and they decided that they would stay apart from each other and that's what they would do. Guess what happened to the shakers? They died out. <laughs> they died out. Uh, because they did not reproduce at all. They, didn't, uh, they separated themselves from the world. They didn't share their beliefs with anybody else. Uh, they just stayed to themselves, and because they stayed to themselves, they ended up dying out. I want to suggest to you uh, that I believe that the scriptures are giving us uh, some direction here that is somewhere between those two things. You know, we're not supposed to be eliminating the evil world. We're not supposed to kill off those that are not believers. That's not what the Bible says at all. And, uh, you know, we need to, we need to understand that the, the concept of Islam is a very dangerous concept in our world today. We need to understand that. But we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the other hand where so that we become, I like to say this every now and then, where we become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Uh, we can get into a position where we think that we're so good and we're so pure and we're so holy and we're going to stay away from everything that's so bad and so evil. In the process, we're going to stay so far away that we never come into contact with a sinner. Well, I've got some news for you. If you don't come in contact with sinners, how are you going to lead somebody to the Lord? 
Doesn't even make any sense. And so somewhere, however, we need to understand that it's not in the extremes that's the key, but there are some principles that are described here within the scriptures. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, there's this description that is used of not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I'm interested more in looking at the general teaching that is here today. There's lots of practical application. There's some things, we'll mention a couple of them here towards the end. Uh, but I want us this morning real quickly to stop and, and just notice a couple things about this call to separation. I want to suggest to you first and foremost that this call to separation, that it is the call is compelling. It's a compelling call. It is very simple. It's very succinct. In fact, elsewhere in the scriptures, God puts it in simple terms. If you want a very simple definition of it, he says, be ye holy as I am holy. So now we know what the priority is. Now we know what the plan is. Now we know what it is that God is doing. And God has a desire to take us and to separate us and to make us holy as he is holy. We mentioned last week, we were over in chapter 5, and we're familiar with that verse in chapter 5. And in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things, what? Are passed away. All things are become new. And so we have this whole picture of the believer growing and maturing in Jesus Christ. And in the process, there's old that sloughs off, and there is in the replacement brand new life and a brand new experience, a brand new walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he is saying that ultimately, he is directing us, and we, uh, uh, we eventually, we're looking forward to the time in which we'll be with him in glory, right? Uh, we're looking forward to that Revelation 21 passage that tells us where we'll be in heaven, and there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, you know? We're looking forward to that time. We're going to be in his presence. And in the midst of it, when we see him, the scripture says, we'll see him face to face and we'll be as he is, which means we'll finally be holy. In the meantime, we're going from where we're at now to where we're holy. I'm not going to ask if anybody here thinks that you're perfectly holy today. I happen to know some of you. And, <laughs> and you know me. <laughs> and we don't fit into that category. If there's anything we need to communicate to the world today, I believe, as the Church of Jesus Christ, is we need to let them know that we're not perfect. We're just forgiven. Uh, I think sometimes the world looks on and they think, oh, those Christians, they just think that they're, they think that they're so special. They think that they're so, they're so good. You know, the reality is, is that most all of us know, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior today, that living the Christian life can be a struggle from day to day to day as we deal with the things that are in our path and in our lives, things that are inside and the things that are outside. And we need to communicate that carefully and clearly to the world around us, that, that, that God isn't, doesn't make a bunch of people perfect instantaneously. Uh, that we might be, we might in a sense have the sense of, of justification so that God sees us just as if we never sinned, but it's not because of us, it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that is over us. And so here I want to just uh, suggest to you a couple of things here in relationship to this compelling call to separation. I want to suggest to you that first of all, that we need to understand clearly that it is God's will that we be that way. Now most of us are familiar with the passage over in Romans, and if you've got your Bibles, you can turn them there just so you can see it. But in Romans chapter 8, we're always very quick to read this wonderful verse that encourages us, particularly when things aren't going so well. And in verse eight, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter eight, verse 28, it says, and we know what? That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
And, and we love to read that verse because it encourages us that regardless of what's happening, the problems that we're facing, the difficulties that are before us, the mountains that we're trying to climb, that in the midst of that, we know that God's going to take and use all those things. For those that love him, those that are the called according to his purpose, in other words, those that are Christians, God will take all the things that are happening in your life and he will take them and mold them and he will use them for the good in the midst of your life. Even though there seem to be bad things, even though they seem to be problem things, even though they seem to be difficult things, God can take them and use Use them in the midst of your life and my life. Now, just a little bit of an aside, and I, I don't, I don't want to go off on this rabbit trail, and maybe we'll talk about this sometime. I, I want to make sure that we're very careful that we don't retwist this concept scripturally. Because so many people take this and say, well, God caused this to happen in your life so that he could, whoa, 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 whoa. You want to be very careful when you start down that path because you won't find scripture to back it up. You won't find scripture to back it up. Now, there are some places in the scripture. We go to Hebrews chapter 11. There's discussion about how he chastises us. And sometimes he does mold us and shape us like a children. And sometimes we're disciplined. And uh, sometimes we're chastised. Sometimes we're admonished. You know, we can, we can understand there's some things like that in the scriptures. But for the most part, when we talk about difficulties and problems and particularly tragedies in this world, because after all, the world looks at a tragedy that takes place and just says, you know, where's God in all this? I can't believe that there's a God when God... God allows evil in this world. Well, you know, as soon as somebody says that, most of you know by now that that's a self-defeating argument because uh, as soon as you say uh, that there's evil in the world, ultimately you've got to end up that there's good in the world. And if you have evil and good, you've got to have a moral lawgiver. You have a moral lawgiver. Guess what you've got? You've really got God. So they're really proving the fact when you call it evil, uh, if, if you, uh, the, the, the genuine atheist, when he looks at something that you and I call evil, they don't see it as evil. They just say it's chance. And brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that in the midst of our world today, the things that happen to us are really, they're, they're really twofold. One is, is that they are happening because of the disintegration, literally, of our world, of literally the globe and literally of humankind. There is a sense in which since the beginning and the sin of Adam and Eve, the things have been declining and things are going downhill. That's, that's a reality. And there is a, there's a degeneration in that process. Uh, there's also the very simple, fa the simple fact of, a chance that things happen and by the way uh, I wish I could tell you differently but I'm going to tell you uh, what the scriptures say and that is is that the awful things in this world they fall on the just and the unjust just because you're a believer just because I'm a believer does not mean we will not have problems or we will not have things happen to us they will happen to us and I know people don't like to talk that way but I want to tell you that's a fact and what we need to understand however is, is that even when those things happen to the believer God's able to take them and use them and he's able to strengthen us in the midst of them he's able to renew us in the midst of them he's able to help us to minister to others in the midst of them and that's what Romans 8:28 means but Romans 8:28 isn't really the one I wanted to look at what I wanted to look at was Romans 8:29 and if you take a look at Romans 8:29 it goes on to say for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren there's some pretty powerful words in there, and one of them is a word called predestinate. Now, predestinate means to predetermine. He has said it beforehand. There is an intention. There is a clear will there. And by the way, he's not talking about there's a predestination to be saved. That's not what it's saying here. What's it saying? He says that he has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, it is God's will. I'm going to share this with you. If you don't know what God's will is for your life, I can guarantee one thing about God's will for your life. If you know Jesus Christ today, it is God's will for your life. It's God's will for my life 
that we would be more and more like Jesus Christ, that we would have more and more of his image in the midst of our lives. That is God's will. And we need to understand that that's God's will. If you don't know what God's will is for your life, you at least know that, that it, is, it has been predetermined, it's been predestined that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked in the past and we can talk about what Christ was like. Obviously, Christ was loving. Obviously, Christ was just. Obviously, Christ was gracious. Obviously, Jesus was friendly. Obviously, Jesus liked children. Obviously, Jesus didn't get along with many of the religious leaders of the time. That's kind of interesting uh, in the process. Uh, one of the things we need to understand clearly is, is that Jesus, in the midst of his life, he came, and the scriptures say that he became a servant. And he had a servant's heart and a servant's attitude. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, you'll read all about that. We need to stop, I believe, and more often than not, we need to understand that it's God's will for us to be more and more like Jesus. We're to be holy as he is holy, and we're to look more and more like Jesus, and we're to become a servant for him and for the world. The second thing that's clear is, is that although it's God's will, uh, and the call is compelling that it's God's will, the call is compelling in that it's God's work. It is what he is doing. He is preparing us. He is caring for us. He is shaping us and molding us. In the Old Testament, we have the wonderful picture of God as the potter and we're the clay. And he molds and he shapes us and he, he makes us to be what he wants us to be. And you know, you, you watch that lump of clay and you know, it, it, it gets moved around a little bit. Every now and then a potter's messing with something and guess what? It doesn't go quite right. What do they do? They take it out and they put it all back together again and start all over again with that, you know? And, you know, I don't know about you, I'm going to tell you that I believe that one of the wonderful, wonderful blessings of, of the promises of God's grace is that he's able to take and rebuild our lives. He's able to change our lives. He can, he can remold us and he can reshape us, okay? How many people here have ever failed? I'm talking about a sermon on honesty next week. Oh, no. Uh, the, uh, uh, okay. Uh, how many people have come out of that failure and you've grown and you've matured and, and, and things came out good after that fact? Okay, now here's the question. How many of you failed after that? <laughs> okay. See, now we've got the roller coaster experience, right? Up and down. Let me tell you, one of the wonderful promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only that he gives us new life and that he offers us forgiveness and cleansing and he saves us, but the fact is, is that he works with us. He molds us and he shapes us and, and he, he, he crafts us into the person that he wants us to be. And in the midst of that, it's not like, boom, we're there. It's a process in which he slowly molds us and shapes us. And then we turn a different corner and we need different strengths and we need different help and we need different things. And he helps us in that process and he molds us and he shapes us and he works within us. God's compelling us to be separate. I want to suggest to you this morning, and I think that I'm going to have to, we may not get through all this, but it says that the call is to separate and it's compelling but I also want to share with you this morning that one of the things we need to understand from the scriptures is, is that as the call to separate it is compelling, the call to separate is also competing. It's competing. 
Uh, we live in a world of competition. Uh, lots of us uh, enjoy uh, sporting events, and we just enjoy the spirit of competition. Uh, I always uh, find it interesting to watch individuals who who uh, uh, who uh, root for teams, and you know some people root for. There, there's uh, a, with with the performance of the Steelers in the last two years, there's still Steeler fans. It's amazing, you know. They're they're still they're still working at it, and and uh, you know we everybody's comes out hopeful that their their team's going to do well, and we get into that spirit of competition. You know, my team's better than your team, and my team's going to do this, and your team's going to. We get into that whole concept uh, concept of competition, and, and I think we have that kind of built in. To us, and we have an understanding of it built into us because, truthfully, in the midst of this world, there's a bigger competition that's going on. And I want to suggest to you that there is a competition that's internal, there's a competition that's external for us, as we have this call to be separate. The scriptures tell us over in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 and 17, there's a description about all the things that are of the world the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, we have these challenges that are before us and we have these enemies, if you will, uh, that are around us. And there is the world that is always trying to hold us back or to try to surround us or to rub off on us. There is the flesh that we have and there is the innate aspects of the flesh. There are the desires of the flesh. There is the, what the scriptures call the lust of the flesh, uh, which means the things that we have. And by the way, you know, sometimes we think of, of lust and we immediately, our, our minds go to the concept of, of, of erotic kind of, of lust. But the reality is, is the word lust that's in the scriptures simply means just our desires. And there's all kinds of desires. Some people, some people desire to eat. <laughs> you know, I, I always tell people that I'm not, I'm not one of, I don't, I honestly, uh, my, I never recommend my eating habits to anybody else. Uh, it's just not a good idea. It's just not a good thing. Uh, the truth of the matter is there's some people that just eat just to exist, and that's me. Uh, I eat because I have to. If I don't eat, I'm going to get sick, and so I eat something and I eat. I don't really care. I can eat. I can sit down to a wonderful, beautiful meal, and I can enjoy it. And uh, most of you know that uh, two hot dogs at Sheets for 99 cents is a pretty good deal. And uh, uh, there's, there's not a week goes by I don't at least eat a few of those in the process, okay? Because uh, they're good for you. I don't think you realize how good they're for you. But uh, anyways, <laughs> Sheets didn't even pay me to say that, okay? Uh, but, uh, you know, in, in the midst of it, uh, uh, you know, we, we need to recognize that uh, we, we need to recognize very clearly that there is in the midst of us all kinds of desires. We need to eat. If you don't eat, you get hungry. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, you know, it's better that you eat regular meals, right? Because if you wait until you get hungry, what happens? Uh, I, I was, you eat all kinds of, I, I, I was out the other day and I was out, I had to leave early, early in the morning and I was out driving all day long. I didn't get a chance to eat. I ate a little something for breakfast uh, early in the morning, you know, like at four o'clock in the morning and, and I didn't get a chance to eat lunch. And uh, I, I got back, I, I got back, I didn't get a chance to eat supper because uh, I was with some other people. And so I finally got home and uh, I was actually home by myself for a little bit and I was there and, and I'm thinking, boy, I'm hungry. I didn't, I didn't even think about being hungry till then. But then I was hungry and I thought, now what do I want to eat? Well, there's a little bit of that really good chili that I made on Sunday. And <laughs> I don't have any of Chuck's chili, so that'll have to do. <laughs> but no, there's a little bit of chili, so I had a little bit of chili. And I thought, well, that, that was good, but yeah, I'm still hungry. So I thought, hmm, there were some cookies there. So I had a couple cookies. So they, they were pretty good. Then I thought about a little bit. I was still hungry because I was really hungry by the time I got ready to eat. And before it was all said and done, I ate some potato chips because uh, they were there and they needed to be finished up anyways. And, and then I noticed when I got the potato chips, there were a few more little uh, like taco chips that were there, you know, those corn chips there. And they had just a few and nobody eats the crumbs except for me. So I went ahead and ate them. And uh, you can tell that I was eating a well-balanced diet, right? You know, it was really good for you, you know, in the process. You know, and, and that's what I did. And of course, after a little while, I thought, 
well, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> but on the other hand, I really hadn't eaten anything that was really nourishing. And you know, what happens is, is, is that if we aren't honest about the desires that we have within our life and we don't address them in the proper way, more often than not, it will be misused in a wrong way. And that's true across the board, no matter what kind of lust, we use that word, of desire that we have within our human bodies. And we need to address that fact. I want to suggest to you that unfortunately in the midst of the world, that the world is out there competing in a negative way for you and for me. The world, the flesh, and the devil, it doesn't matter what it is, it is out there competing and is, is actually competing primarily through our senses, our, our sense of seeing and hearing and touch and smell and taste. There is the internal sense as well through the spirit and through uh, what we will actually call, and, and we don't often think about this, but there is, as much as there is a Holy Spirit, we need to recognize there is a spiritual realm, and without getting into it and focusing a bunch on it, there is an effect that it has with upon us. There are many spiritual attacks that attack our senses, and they cause us to recognize uh, the, the wrong things, and we, we indulge in the wrong way. I want to suggest to you that it actually is fighting against our heart and against our will. In the midst of that, uh, let me just share this, and I think we're going to stop here. But I want to suggest to you that this call to separation that's compelling is also competing. And there's a sense in the midst of that competition that the competition, first of all, is very subtle. It's very subtle. Probably none of you have ever had anybody ring your doorbell and you went to the door and Satan was standing there and says, I want you to sin today. Has that happened to anybody? I don't think so. I can't, I've never met anybody that ever said that that happened, that the enemy showed up and said, I want you to be a sinner today. What happens is, is there is the subtleties, the opportunities, the desires, all of those things come together in what we would consider, we might say the wrong way, but the truth is, is they almost all can be supplied in the right way. But in the midst of the subtlety, we hardly even notice it. It creeps in in just a little way. Do you think it's unique that in the Garden of Eden, what was the enemy? <laughs> the serpent that slithers his way subtly through the garden. I think that's interesting. It's interesting that when he's speaking to Eve, that he speaks in a subtle way. He doesn't argue with her and say, you're all wrong. God's all wrong. He says, didn't God say that it's okay to go ahead and eat the fruits? <laughs> Isn't that what God said? And slowly leads her into sinning, and obviously Adam's sinning. Adam becomes the responsible one uh, in the process. We need to understand how subtle it is. And I want to suggest to you our world is very subtle, very slowly, very cautiously drawing us in. I I'm going to mention, and I mentioned this, I'm not going to get into it a lot, but you realize that we've actually come to a place, listen to this, we've actually come to a place, and, and uh, this, this is here, a couple of us were talking real quickly ahead of time, we're joking a little bit about some of the stuff going on in our society, in our world now, and in some of the competition that's going on. Uh, but uh, there's actually one individual that actually made a statement that Christians are the biggest enemy that the United States has today. I don't know about you, that's scary that we've come to that place in our country. Think about it. It's scary, but you know what it is? It's so subtle. It comes in a little at a time, 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 and pretty soon it has control. Brothers and sisters, we're going to have to stop here. 
But can I challenge you just a little bit? And maybe we'll come back to this, uh, Lord willing, uh, uh, next week. But uh, in, in the midst of it, could you maybe just stop and maybe, first of all, just let's get our eyes open. Let's get our ears open and take a look at the world around us. And maybe see how it is that the world is actually trying to compete with us and compete with our hearts, compete with our time, compete with our senses, compete with our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Draw us off in the wrong direction. Scriptures call us here today to truly be separate. It's certainly one that we need to address. It's compelling. It's, it's a very straightforward thing. He doesn't say consider it. He says, be ye not unequally yoked. That's what he says. So it's compelling. But it's also competing. There's a world that's out there that's against you and against me. And we're, not, we're going to need to learn how to stand up to it. We're going to need to learn how to address it. We're going to need to learn how to share that with other people that they can stand victorious as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us and for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that your word is very plain, very straightforward for us. Sometimes, Lord, we need that. Lord, I would ask that this morning that you would be pleased to just refresh us. Lord, cause us to maybe... Uh, to just stop a little bit and hit the reset button and realize that in our life, you always give us the opportunity, just like, a, just like a potter takes a piece of clay and starts over and starts remolding it and reshaping it, you always give us that opportunity. We can come to you and, and we can give of our hearts to you. We can ask for forgiveness. We can ask for cleansing. We can ask for your continued provision. And Lord, we can let you recreate us and remold us and reshape us. Lord, I just ask today that you would just help us to maybe have a burden and a concern in our own hearts and our own lives. Uh, concerning the, the competition that's out there in the world for us, for our thoughts, for our beings. Lord, that we would make it very clear of whose side we're on, that we are here to serve you. We are here to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We are here not to be conformed by the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and our hearts. Father, I pray that you'd be pleased just to help us to hear this call to separation and help us uh, to draw upon you the strength and the energy that it takes to be your children. For we ask it in Jesus' name.